0: Okay. Uh, well, it's been a little while since I've been able to say this, but turn with me in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, and we're going to pick up our verse-by-verse study. We we uh, hit the pause button for uh, some holiday messages and and other um, other needs. Uh, appreciate uh, what I see is Rusty here. Appreciate Rusty and his ministry to us recently. Um, and it's time to come back to Isaiah. And if you're just joining us, uh, we are in the middle of a verse-by-verse study of Isaiah. It's a massive book, 66 chapters. It's one of the largest of the prophetic books. And, uh, and yet it's a great, it is a great book. And um, if you're new or if Isaiah is fuzzy, uh, this is a good Sunday to, to, to be here because what I want to do is just kind of review where we've been. Uh, before we took a break to talk about Christmas... Uh, I let you know that we are about one third of the way through the book. Uh, we, we don't, I don't want to drag this out over years and years. I want to try to do justice to the text without skipping things that uh, really require our attention. But it's also important that we maintain a momentum in Isaiah so that we don't get bogged down too much with the details. Um, So what I want to do is just get a running start going into Isaiah 25 today by reviewing where have we been. And again, if you're new, this is great. So hopefully you'll get up to speed if Isaiah is a little bit fuzzy. I mean, that that was so last year, wasn't it? I mean, it was a long time ago. So we need to, to get our bearing here. So let's just let's just remind ourselves of where we're at. Okay, this is the ark of Bible history, and maybe you've seen this before, maybe you have not, uh, those of you are, that are familiar with Max Anders' book called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible uh, will recognize this. If you have not read 30 Days to Understanding the Bible, you need to invest 30 days, or however how long it takes you to get through it, in this book. It, it, it's it's the, uh, a, a basic GP, GPS navigational aid for you and your Bible, Uh, I can tell you that when I was a new Christian, this was probably the most significant book that I read in terms of helping me to understand the Bible. And I was grateful that someone put it in my hands early on in my Christian life. So what is this? These are the major historical sections of the Bible. The Bible is a huge book, very difficult to understand because it spans such a large chunk of history and time. There's different genres, there's different political situations, different geography. So the Bible starts with creation, right? And then it moves on to talk about the patriarch period where God calls Abraham as as the man who will be the start of his covenant purposes and what eventually we become the nation of Israel. And Abraham starts that. The patriarchs are guys like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who were the first men to help establish that identity, that people of God that God would call. Of course, the Exodus when God's people are in Egypt and God delivers them. The conquest under Joshua where Joshua, the military leader of Israel, uh, having been given the promises of God that God's going to give them this land. Joshua, his job was to take the people and to go conquer the land. And uh, so that happens there in books like Joshua. And then judges that time in uh, Israel's history where um, the people begin to really get off the rails and uh, walk away from God. They're not as obedient. They're not as faithful. So God raises up a series of Uh, religious leaders called judges. And we know some of them, their names like Samson and Gideon and Samuel, who was the last uh, judge of that period to bring order and to call the people back to the Lord. Then we move into what's called the kingdom era. And that's that circled area is is where we find ourselves in the book of Isaiah. You remember that under Samuel's ministry, um, the Israelites began demanding a king, because after all, everybody else has a king. We need a king, right? And then Samuel said, no, the Lord says that's a bad idea. They insisted. So God uh, really appeased them at that moment and gave them a king, first Saul, then David, then Solomon, and the kingdom divides shortly after Solomon loses his rule. Now you've got two kingdoms, one governed by a guy named Rehoboam, one governed by a guy named Jeroboam. So the nation is divided. People are walking away from the Lord. There's political unrest. There's threats from foreign countries. And most importantly, the people's heart is far from God. And that is the situation in which God calls Isaiah, who then goes out to minister to the people. Okay, so that gives us a little bit of background on what's going on. So this kingdom era, um, Israel demands that God give them a king, just to catch up here. These are not in your notes, but this is just... So you have a little bit of context. Uh, the civil war occurs upon Solomon's death resulting in Israel being divided and the northern kingdom is judged. Um, we see that actually in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, as he's writing, as Isaiah is living, he'll see the northern kingdom judged, taken over by the Assyrians and taken into captivity. You can read about that in Second Kings. The southern kingdom is eventually judged. We don't see that in the time of Isaiah's time, but Isaiah prophesies about it and threatens it. Uh, so that happens after Isaiah's death, but in, in the years to come after. Okay. So just to give you some idea, we're talking about 110 or 1110 BC to 723 BC. That's the time period that we're talking about. Uh, Isaiah's ministry is in the latter half of that, so in the early eighth century is where we're thinking about there. And um, okay, you remember this? How's that for just making your brain hurt? Uh, this is awesome, and uh, I gave this to some of you if if, uh, if you would like this um, and did not receive it, I can get it to you. This is a uh, it's really a timeline of what's going on in this part of Israel's history. There's a lot of moving parts. You got two kingdoms. Each of them have kings, right? You've got prophets that are preaching to both of those countries. And then you've got foreign uh, leaders like the Assyrian leaders, right? So if we zoom in on just the section you see right here, we've got Isaiah's ministry and Micah's ministry. Those of you that heard my message on Micah, you remember Isaiah and Micah were uh, contemporaries. They ministered at the same time. They likely would have known each other. Uh, saw each other at Bible conferences and prophecy events and stuff like that. Um, but they're they're going on. Now, they have two different ministries. Micah is ministering more to the north, Isaiah more to the south. But, um, but nonetheless, they're ministering at the same time. And you see that the kings of Judah are down here, right? Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Those are the kings that are in power in Judah during Isaiah's ministry. These are the northern kingdom. Uh... uh kings, Pekah and Hoshea, and then up here, you've got the Assyrian kings, kings like Sargon and, and Shalmanaster and others, so uh, for those of you over here in the cheap seats, catch up here, um, okay, so we got our Assyrian kings, our northern kingdom kings, our southern kingdom kings, and then here's the prophets that are writing to both of these kingdoms, okay, so that's kind of what's going on, um, Isaiah, who's Isaiah writing to primarily, northern kingdom or southern kingdom? Southern kingdom, how do you know that? Because chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that, okay? That's how we know. And so he's writing, and uh, actually chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that Isaiah writes during the kings of, of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah to that southern kingdom of Judah, okay? So what's the book of Isaiah all about? The book of Isaiah is a record of the prophet Isaiah's ministry to Judah, the southern kingdom, warning them of a future judgment if they do not repent, but promising them a future hope and a kingdom that will come when the servant, who is a theme of the book of Isaiah, is revealed. And we've just talked about that because we just celebrated his birth, didn't we? Okay, so that's Isaiah. So during the ministry, Isaiah's is going to witness the northern kingdom captured and taken into captivity by the Assyrians and the thwarted attempt by them under Sennacherib to capture Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. That's coming in the weeks ahead as we look at it in Isaiah. Now, during his ministry, Isaiah is going to foretell of the coming Babylonian captivity. We'll see that in chapters 39, 67. And just to remind you, this is what's going on politically, okay? The yellow line represents the kingdom of Assyria, okay? You see that? And I, I, I did the math for you, okay? Um, this little section, see the little dotted section right here? That's the area that hasn't been conquered by the Assyrians yet. Hang on, hang on. Look at this. A little dotted section right here. Assyrians don't own this yet. But everything else in the yellow lines, they do. And guess what they're interested in getting? What, guess what their New Year's resolution is? Right here. Now, now, just to give you some context, this little dotted area, if you think about DFW Airport to the north, uh, Mansfield in southern Fort Worth, downtown Dallas and Benbrook, okay? That's that's the area we're talking about right here. Not very big. You say, what about the Assyrian Empire? The Assyrian Empire covers all of the border states and the rest of Texas, just to give you some geography. So within that yellow border, we've got New Mexico, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana, and the rest of Texas, okay? Just to give you some idea, okay? So <laughs> you've got... Not even the whole metroplex right here. And you've got Texas and all the border states surrounding them. That's the threat of the Assyrian nation. Now, do you think that might make you a little nervous at night? I mean, you're wondering, you know, are you going to wake up in the middle of the night to flee, flee? The Assyrians have invaded. And that is the threat that's going on where Isaiah is saying, trust The Lord, he has promised this kingdom to you, right? He he has promised your security if you will put your faith in him. And, And you know what this reminds us of? This reminds us that faith in the Lord is not just for heaven someday, is it? That's important, and that's a big part of it. Faith in the Lord is not just for future heaven and global forgiveness of sins. Those are key parts of the gospel. But faith in the Lord is for your day-to-day well-being and security. Whatever threats you may experience. And that's part of what we're supposed to see. Uh, you, some of you remember this. What was um, Ahaz, the southern uh, king, what was he tempted to do to deal with this political reality? What was he tempted to do? To make a treaty with the enemy, right? Because what happens is, you remember, the northern kingdom, they get together and they think, ah, we're going to grab this before the Assyrians do. And Ahaz is tempted to side with the enemy, right? Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be tempted if if that was the geographical reality of the threat coming against you? Uh, And so it reminds us that faith in the Lord is is something that we trust Him in for life and breath and everything we have. Okay, so that's what's going on. Um, uh, What have we seen? In the first 12 chapters, we saw the judgment upon Judah, right? The the calling of Judah back to the Lord and the threat of judgment if they don't repent. In chapters 13 to 23, the judgment upon the nations. Remember, this is where... Isaiah looks at all of these other nations that have been captured by the Assyrian Empire, and he pronounces judgment on them because they're walking away from the Lord as well. They're not honoring him. And then the section we're in right now is the announcement of the day of the Lord. Along the way, and I promise this will be done here, we have seen really these four themes. These are the four main themes in the book of Isaiah. We see the the prosperity and blessing of Israel in the years to come, right? We see the sin and wickedness and rebellion and idolatry of of Judah as well as the other nations. We've seen the threat of coming judgment. In the midst of all of that, we see a gracious, faithful, patient, merciful God who promises salvation for anyone who repents. Okay? So with that in mind, uh, look back at Isaiah chapter 25 and, uh, and let's, let's jump in here with both feet, okay? Now, what has just happened? In chapter 23 and chapter 24, excuse me, chapter 24, what's happened is God has pronounced judgment not just on Judah, we talked about that, not just on the surrounding nations, we talked about that. He's pronouncing judgment on the whole earth. God is coming to judge, as the scripture tells us, the living and the dead, the whole earth. And that will happen one day in what's called the great white throne judgment that Revelation talks about. Now, as a previews of coming attractions, Isaiah says, look, this is coming, and today is the day to get right with God. Today is the day of salvation, as the writer of Hebrews says, quoting the psalmist. So, so that's that's what's going on. There, there's been this threat of judgment upon the earth, and what does that mean? What does judgment on the earth mean for the people of God. Let's just start there. What does that mean? It means the return of the Messiah. That's a good thing. What else does it mean? Anybody anybody read the Fox News app this morning? Do some of you still read the paper? Where's the paper readers? Anybody actually get the paper, read the paper? We all do in iPads and smartphones now. Fox News or... Right. Okay, you watch the news, you and you read that, and is everything great in the world today? Could you find anything great in the world today? Not a whole lot, right? Uh, every day, we are reminded of the injustices of the world, uh, the calamities of the world, the wickedness, the sin, the destruction, the taking advantage of the least of these. And remember, those are all things going on in Isaiah's time, some of them happening through the actual people, the Israelites, the kings that are supposed to be the ones leading others in righteousness. And they are, in fact, living in in gross injustice. And when this day of judgment comes, what that means for the people of God is that God is finally going to look at this world and its debauchery and its sin and its wickedness and its its abuse and its injustice, and he says, enough. And he stops it. And he ends the chaos and the calamity and the destruction and the horror and the sin of this world. And I don't know how you react like that, but when I hear that, I think, ah, finally, right? And Isaiah is so moved by the Messiah coming, this servant finally coming, who's going to put an end to all of this, who's going to right every wrong, who's going to finally uh, bring peace to, to the poor and the abused and, and, and all, all of this injustice. Isaiah is so moved by that, what does he do? He picks up his guitar and he writes a song or whatever instrument or maybe, maybe he's maybe he's just going a cappella here. We don't know. And he writes this song. Now, what's neat is now watch this. We're going to unpack this song together and we're going to see why is Isaiah so looking forward to this day? And then this is what's really cool. I, this personal song of Isaiah is going to morph into a song that all the redeemed sing on this day as they travel back to a brand new Jerusalem, a brand new Zion, and they sing the song of the redeemed because they finally see the salvation of the Lord. So, so look at this together. Uh, we're just going to kind of unpack it together here today. okay? Isaiah's song. Notice that the song starts with who God is and what He's done. Look at this. Chapter 25, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. Now now listen to the resume here of God. And that's this is what marks a true worship song. We talked about this the last time when we, we got our feet wet in this chapter a little bit. This is what ought to encapsulate a true worship song, right? Listen to the the robust theology, the, the grand pictures of God's character. This is what worship is really about. I will exalt you, I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness, for you have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin, a palace of strangers, is a city no more, and it will never be rebuilt. Now he's talking, this is what you got to remember. In fact, look up here just for a second. Um, As Isaiah is prophesying, not just in this chapter, but in his book, he pivots, he pivots from what's going on at that time in history, the threat of Assyria from the map we just saw. And he'll talk about deliverance there, and then he'll pivot over to sometime in the future Talking about a more universal deliverance and a more universal praise. And he goes back and forth. And Mr. Isaiah, if we can fault him on one thing, he doesn't always clue us in on when he's making that transition. So it's incumbent upon us, the readers, to go, ah, it sounds like maybe he's talking about something future, not something that's he envisioned in his time. So, so he's talking right here about the immediate threat of the Assyrian Empire being destroyed. But as you're going to see, this will morph into a song of God's redemption in the future, verse three. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you, for you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless, the, for the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against the wall, meaning it just continues, right? Like heat in a drought, you subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of the cloud, the song of the ruthless is silence. God steps on the scene and He says, enough. And He stops the injustice once and for all. And can I just say, if you're a Christian, there's something in your heart that ought to resonate with this day when God says, it's done. Uh, the apostles talk about this, the New Testament letters talk about it. We long for the day when our Savior returns and He puts an end to the corruption, which is the fall that started in Genesis 3, and He says, Enough, and He restores all things. We long for that. You know, you know, heaven is not harps and halos. Can we just remember that? It's not, it's not you know, clouds and harps and chubby cherubs and, you know, heaven is justice, finally. It's no sin. It's no more abusing people. It's people that love each other and care for each other and, and, and don't pursue their own interests, but actually consider the interests of others as more important. That's, that's what this restor, restored creation that Isaiah is envisioning here is all about. And that's something that if you belong to God, you say, Yes, I want, I want that tomorrow. And Isaiah says, you know what, that's we're singing about. Verse 6. Notice this next part here. He describes a banquet. Look at this. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. Now, which mountain is he talking about here? Yeah, this is Zion, right? This is, this is the Jerusalem Mount, right? The, the Jerusalem is built on the top of a mountain range. Um, and that, that God's going to have a, a, a potluck, right? Remember we talked about the, the spiritual discipline of potlucking. That's what we're doing this afternoon, right? Here it is. Well, okay, it's not a potluck, but um, it's a banquet, right? It, it's a meal commemorating something special. That's what Christians do, right? We have meals to commemorate things that are special. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow... Up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched out over all nations, He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord will wipe tears away from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. So, so what, here's the question. What is this banquet on Zion, what is it celebrating? Yeah, establishing the kingdom. And what specifically does he point out here? Yeah. It's the death of death. That's right. Yeah. The Lord... And notice that you thought, I thought this came from Revelation. No, no. John stole it from Isaiah. Borrowed it. You can do that when you're an apostle. And the Lord will wipe tears away from all faces. You know, tears not always, but usually are a consequence of living in a fallen world, right? Right. And God says, done, never again. And, and the sorrow and grief and pain that comes from what we feel in living in a broken world, this banquet is commemorating the end of tears of sorrow because of the broken world we live in. The, the, the world is being restored. Why don't we write songs like this today? I mean, there are some we're grateful. Why don't we write... This, this is what we sing about. This is what we look forward to. You, know, you think people, people are not attracted to Christianity because often what they hear us excited about is like, oh, how ordinary... But when you're ta- when you're singing about a day when God says it's all done, no more death, no more tears, no more abuse, and we we enjoy a peace around our Creator for the first time on Earth. Maybe if we sang more like this and and made this a part of what we share with other people, maybe the gospel would be more attractive to people than some you know canned concocted. Uh, you know, mundane things. So, all right, where are we? So the Lord's Bank was about this, the death of death, we, we saw that. Uh, the Lord's salvation over enemies. Look at this. Uh, the Lord has spoken. Verse 9, And it will be said in that day, Behold, <laughs> You know what's neat? The song is not saying, Rest, finally. No death, finally. Finally. The song is saying, rest, no death, no tears, and this is our God who did it. That's the focus of the song. This is what our God is like. This is what he is capable of. This is what he has planned. Look at this. He says, and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. That's what the people of God do, right? We wait for this day. It's like, what are you doing right now as a Christian? I go to work, and I read my Bible, and I go to church. Yes, yes, but we're waiting for this day, aren't we? We we wait, not like twiddling our thumbs, but we, we hope for this day. We long for this day. You long for the day when you pick up your Fox News app, and it says, glory, peace on earth, goodwill to men. When the murder statistics in Dallas, zero. Right? Political unrest around the world, dictators getting, getting uh, annihilated through airstrikes. None of that. And, and, and In one sense, how boring is the news? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And how glorious, how glorious that is. When all we've known is one more murder, one more abuse. One more dictator. One more taking advantage of people. One more... Right? And that, that's, that's what we're used to. And, and now it's... What does it say? This is our God for whom we have waited that He might save us. This is Yahweh, the Lord, for whom we have waited. He repeats it because it's important, right? Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Now... Because we're evangelical Christians, we're used to reading salvation very narrowly. Salvation is forgiveness of sins. And that's true. That's the foundation of it. It's a reconciliation with God. But that's, that's a black and white version of salvation if you read the Bible. I mean, that, that's so 1965, right? The, the 2020 4K HD full Bible version of salvation is God reconciles us to Christ personally, right? That's what brings us back into relationship with him individually. He, ga- he gathers a people together, right? That's the church. He redeems Israel. That's the coming that we're talking about here. And one day he puts a death to death itself. And he brings a kingdom. And there's peace in that kingdom for the first time on this planet. And that's salvation too. So salvation starts with personal reconciliation with God, but it pans out to this vision of a people of God rejoicing in God who live at peace with God and with other people for the first time in history. Verse 10, For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Moab will be trodden down in his place. as straw is trodden down to the water of a manure, manure pile. There's a picture. And he will spread out his hand in the middle of it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. We have some swimmers in our room here, right? We got some seals, got some seals here, right? And you're you're spreading out your hand, you're learning how to just, just go as fat, right? And 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 Isaiah says, that's what God is like. He is active in this city. He is reaching out to minister to people and to be in their midst. The Lord will lay low. Uh, the pride with the trickery of his hands, the unassailable fortifications of your walls he will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground, even to the dust. Again, emphasizing, emphasizing what's going on here, okay? Uh, we talked about the mountain. Moab represents the nations, right? So all the nations are brought to rest. Now, watch this. Watch this. Verse 26, in that day, this song will be sung where? in the land of Judah. So Isaiah has written this song personally. He's shared it apparently and then he says now what's what corporately is going to happen on this day of judgment and peace and restoration, the people of God come together and they sing. They sing a song that the redeemed will sing in the new Jerusalem this day. Now, notice we're going to we're just going to kind of work through verse 26 or chapter 26 together, okay? So look with me at verse 2 and tell me who may enter this new Jerusalem, this new city. What are the qualifications of the person who is allowed to enter? Yeah, open the gates that the righteous may enter, the one that remains faithful. There's our trust, right? Faith faith and trust come from the same word. The, the one who is trusting the Lord, the one who is faithful to the Lord, is righteous. And what does this remind us of? That, that to participate in this day, what is required? Yeah. You've got to have a faith in the Lord, don't you? This is right back to, to Christianity 101. You cannot enjoy the vision and the benefits of this day without a personal faith in the Lord. Um, and that's where it all starts. Okay, now notice this. What is the state of the residence of this new uh, this new city? Let me just read you a few verses, and, and you guys uh, jump in here when, when you see. What is the state of the residence? Look at verse 3. The steadfast... I love this verse. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Look at verse 7. The way of the righteous is smooth, O upright one. Make the path of the righteous level. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. Listen to this and let, let let this hit you, okay? At night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. And when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. What is the state? The people that reside in this new city, what's their heart like? What are they meditating on? What are they thinking about? What are they living for? Talk to me based on uh, those verses that I read. They're at peace. They're trusting, the Lord. they're trusting the Lord. Okay. What else? They're thinking constantly on the Lord. Okay, they're, they're, they're thinking constantly on the Lord. Okay. You know, one of you mentioned Peace. Verse 3 says, God keeps them in perfect peace. That's not like momentary peace or Christmas morning peace or I got a bonus peace. It's not like peace like that. It's peace that endures in what? The one who trusts in you, right? Do you know how many people today would give away all of their assets... For a piece like this, right? People are looking for, I mean, people look for this peace every day, don't they? Um, I've had the privilege of ministering to people trying to come off drugs, and you know what? A lot of them are looking for peace. That's what a lot of that's what that's what a lot of addiction is about. It's I need. To have a rest in my soul, even if it's just for a couple of hours. So that's what the high is all about. There are people trying to buy this. There are people trying to marry this, find a relationship with this. They're trying to find a job that'll do this. They're trying to find something on Amazon that'll give them this. They're trying to find a career or a school or, or a, and God says, you can have it enduring. If you trust me. What else do you see? Look at look at verses uh, seven to nine. What do we learn about the residents in seven to nine? Maybe they desire him. Yeah, they, they, they lay awake at night. And what are they doing? They're thinking about the Lord and they're longing for this day. Um, I woke up at 3.30 this morning to the sound of my dog doing something that needed investigation. (laughs) Thankfully, it wasn't what I thought it was. You know, the, the, the heart of the person here is that when they wake up in the middle of the night, their thoughts gravitate toward this day that's coming and the Lord who brings it. And, and you know, the reality is um, there's a lot of things that are very wrong in the world today. What keeps us sane is we wake up and we think about the Lord and we remember that this day is coming. Okay, what else do you see? Maybe someone that hasn't shared yet. Uh, I'll I'll call on tables if I need to, but... Uh, what else do you see in 12 and 13? Or 7 to 9 or 12 and 13? There's a lot of stuff here. Let's make sure we get it all. Yeah. Okay, so, so there's there's two like soul activities going on here. There's the trusting in the Lord, right? And then there's the waiting part of it. And those go together. What is, talk to me here. What does spiritual waiting mean? Because I know you don't like to wait any more than I do, right? We wait at H-E-B, we wait at the stoplight, we wait at the Crescent train, we, we wait for the Amazon package to come, and we don't like waiting. So what is the waiting that is envisioned here? What is. What's that? What waiting for the day when the world will know what righteousness is. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, in fact, he says that, right? He says, um, when the earth experiences your judgments and the inhabitants of the world will... F-, I'm going to say, finally, I'm sure that's what Isaiah meant, learn righteousness. And again, you know, we, we picked up our, our news app over the weekend to Iranian leader killed... Right, and we long for the day when we we pick up the app and it says the whole nation of Iran converted, don't we? That's that's what is our ought to be our meditation. That's what the people of God sing about, and that's what we ought to focus on and think about now as we hope, as we wait for this day. We pick up our our news app and we go. Oh. Here we go again. We pick up the news app and we say, ah, oh, but this day is coming. So we don't lose heart, right? When that day comes, uh, is it not too late for some of the people going? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. If, if people uh, on this day, if Jesus arrives and they're unconverted, it's too late. Yeah. yeah. Um What's that? What's verse 9 look like in practical Everyday life. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Because that's a good question. What are your thoughts on it? I think, I mean, my experience is tossing and turning, concerned about whatever's gone on throughout the day, or whatever we're seeing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That is just chaos. yeah it is and so how do we take what we are prone to do what we typically do and i think what you described is common for many of us how do we how do we convert that into this vision of what isaiah is saying where our thoughts at night gravitate toward a longing for you um, how do we make that conversion yeah, it starts with a trust in the Lord. Remembrance, Remembrance. Prayer. prayer. You know, and and this is this is going to sound so elementary, but it's really true. If what we meditate on most of the day is the fallenness and brokenness of the world, I don't know about you, but you know, every app you put on your phone believes that it is the most important thing in your life. You know why? Because notifications come on, and any time anything happens on that app that they think is significant, they're going to tell you about it. Which means if you have CNN on your phone, every time CNN thinks there's something you need to know about, ding! Right? And, And if what we meditate on, and I'm not saying that's bad, but if what we meditate on mostly during the day is brokenness, 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 well, guess what? We're going to have a discouraged, disquieted heart, aren't we? But if we turn to the Lord and we trust Him and we remember His promises that this day is coming and that is what we're nourishing on and thinking about and meditating on, then our heart is going to be in a very different frame of mind, isn't it? When the news app dings and we go, oh, but wait, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, then that's really it. Uh, Built yeah. building four twenty nine, right? Uh this is not where I belong. Yes. I think we have to take our focus off of what's happening around us. Mm-hmm. Throws in all these little things that that God's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's going to give you the hope to take your focus off of your everyday life and put your focus and trust and hope in God now right. and what He's going to do in the future. Right. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. We really need a meditation transformation, don't we? Because in our in our world. Everything is about getting our attention, right? Everything is about getting our attention so that you will put some thought on this. And we need to reverse all of that to where we're saying, yeah, some, some of that's necessary and some of that's even beneficial, but that we would have a total transformation in terms of focusing on those things and meditating on those things. And, and you know, the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation, what we meditate on determines the state of our heart, Right. So if you look at your heart and you say, man, I'm discouraged, man, I'm anxious, man, I'm depressed, man, I'm this, th- then the next question ought to be, well, what am I spending all my time meditating on? And you will find that when you trace back the state of your soul, you will find things that have fed it to be in that situation. And then the hope, of course, is you can change those things. Yes, Mm-hmm. thinking through it, right. it and remembering it yes. and feasting yeah. on it and taking my thoughts captive through the word of right. Christ about the character of Christ. Right. Yep. Yeah, so, so memorization is a key part of that. And, 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 and on that note, don't miss the obvious. What form does this meditation here come to us in? Verses 25 and 26. A it's a song. And you know songs have a way of getting into your head, for better or for worse, right? And this is where I think godly, well done, theologically accurate, Christ exulting, grace encouraging music that is done well is part of the strategy. I mean, that's why God inspired the book of Psalms. It's like, hey guys, you need this. So you're right, and, and I think song aids memorization in terms of how God designed song to work, which which should also inform the type of songs that we listen to and what we set our heart on in terms of the music we listen to. But that, That's another sermon for another day, but anyway. Okay, one more here. Back at verse 12, "...Lord, you will establish peace for us since you have also performed for us all our works." They look backward and they say, "...look at the track record of God. He's been faithful. He's been merciful." <laughs> He's done all these things. And so we know we have a confidence in the future. Verse 13, O Lord our God, other masters besides you have ruled us. But through you alone we confess your name. What a great verse. Um, We are under authority. We have been under other masters, other governments, other leaders, other kings. They're looking down the barrel of the Assyrian machine right now. And they say, but we will... We will trust in the Lord. We we will submit to you alone. And that, isn't that what Isaiah's been telling Ahaz for like six chapters? Trust in the Lord! And notice this. Look back at verse 4. Where does true security come from? This is political security, governmental security, economic security, healthcare security, and most important, the security of your eternal destiny. And day to day, moment by moment, frame of heart, well-being. Where does it come from? Verse four. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So what's, what's the, what's the high point of this song? Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. You build there. And you stay there. Moeller um, did a sermon one time called, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. <laughs> and that was the compliment of, Don't Just Stand There, Do Something. But Right? that There are times when instead of doing things, that's our focus, we need to temper that and stand there. Stand on this rock of trust and confidence in the immovable character and promises of God. That's where true security comes from. Now, what has the Lord done for his people? We've talked about some of this already. Look at this. He's brought low, verse five, those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. Now, again, that envisions Assyria in the near term. God's going to put Assyria away. They're the unassailable city. God's going to undo it. But it looks forward to the future where God brings rest from every kingdom threat, every national threat. God does that. Verse 6, the foot will trample it, the feet of the afflicted, the steps of the helpless will do that. Look down to 14. The dead will not live, the departed spirits will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them, and you have wiped out all remembrance of them. God is capable and able to do this. Verse 15, you have increased the nation, O Lord, you have increased the nation, you are glorified, and you have extended, look at this, You have extended all the borders of the land. On this day, here's the new Jerusalem. People are coming into the city, and they're looking around going, we've never owned this much real estate. Because God has given them that promise. That land promise is fulfilled here. And he's able to do that. Now, we have to look at one little section here before we quit. Look at verse, uh, verses 10 and 11. Because one of the minor notes of this psalm that Isaiah is, has penned and the people of God sing in this day is what are the wicked doing? And this is really, really interesting. Look at ver- I'll read verses 10 and 11. You tell me the answer, okay? Though the wicked is shown favor... He does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness. And he does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your... How do the wicked respond to the grace of God in their life? Okay, yeah, they think they deserve it, right? So so, so they don't view it as grace, right, is your point, right? It's not grace if you think I deserve it, right? So yeah, they take it for granted. They don't see it as... as. Sure, uh-huh. There is no God. Right. right forces of history this is just what we would expect mm-hmm. uh, they don't even consider god as an explanation right okay so they're not they're not thinking even in a in a framework that god exists so they're explaining everything through natural processes grant they, ex- they accept the simple state as normal okay It's so just something that they perceive as yeah being natural right okay okay so looking back at verse 10 tell me what they do When God shows them favor, when they benefit from the land of uprightness that God produces, what do they do? Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. That's the New Testament version, right? Yeah, they, they don't honor him. They don't give thanks. They they think they deserve it. They explain it away. Uh, you know, the heart of Romans one tells us why they do it because they they want to be a god of their own making and rule themselves their own way. They don't want to submit to God. They want to take credit for it. They want to take credit for it. Themselves, mm-hmm. that a of their own pride. Mm-hmm, that's right. And they continue to do evil. Mm-hmm. They continue to do evil. And and this this is and this goes back to. two of you have alluded to this. Verse eleven. God's hand is active every day, isn't it? God's hand is in the details of every moment of life yet verse 12 says what they don't see it they don't see his grace right they have a naturalistic worldview they, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness they don't learn and yeah, yeah that, that's verses 10 they, they don't learn. Right? God gives them grace and they don't go, oh, thank you, God. They go, oh, wow. I guess I should keep doing that. Right? And, and you know what this is, guys? The, the, the minor key, the, the note of this section is a warning. Isn't it? It's a warning about people and how they're going to respond. They don't see the hand of God. They don't honor Him or give thanks. They think they deserve it. But is there not a warning for us in this too? If spiritual health means I acknowledge God in all my ways, and all my ways acknowledge Him, Proverbs says. I set Him always before us, the psalmist says. I do all to the glory of God, Paul tells the Corinthians. Then to not see and honor and appreciate and worship God for His grace, for His hand, to learn righteousness is to flirt with the God of this world and His worldview that all wicked people embrace. And and, and to not live with this level of God consciousness is spiritually dangerous, isn't it? Uh, it's on another hand here. Melissa, did you have a hand? Mm-hmm. I think that believers are more prone to that, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. what he's talking about here, obviously, is people that just don't have a heart for God yet, right? So they're just dismissing it. What I'm saying is that this helps us understand the wicked, but it also is a warning to us because we can fall into some of these same things. All right, got to land the plane here, guys. In verses 16 to 18 we see a picture of Judah's distress and desperation. Paul describes it as a pregnant woman approaching a time to give birth. Some of you know what that's like, literally. And I heard it's not very pleasant. And Isaiah says, that's what Judah was like. They they are in distress, they are in pain, and they are desperate for relief. And he says... God comes and He delivers them. He comes and um, I said, we could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born, meaning we, we couldn't bring about our own deliverance. Only God could do that. Verse 19, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy. Your dew is as the dew of dawn and the earth will give birth to the departed. This is interesting. What Isaiah says is both for righteousness and for judgment, there's going to be a resurrection in the future. You notice that? This is one of the few places in the Old Testament that pictures a literal resurrection following or coming into the day of judgment. And so we see that here. We'll talk about that more next time. So the song concludes... And Isaiah encourages his people that God's deliverance will come. Listen to the last couple of verses. So the song ends, right? The song is done. And Isaiah now looks at the people and he says, what do we do with all this? Come, my people. Enter into your rooms. Close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place. Wow. Wow. The cage is about to be opened, and the lion of the tribe of Judah is about to emerge, is what he's saying. To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover that. So he says, look, go home, close your door, and relax. Remember, they're surrounded by Assyria, right? They've got all these threats, and their rulers are... Go home, relax, because this day is coming. God is about to be let out of the cage and enter human history. So, what does the song told us? Trust Him, right? The, the, the steadfast of heart will have peace that endures. Honor Him, praise Him, trust Him, make Him the rock of your life, and relax, because He's coming to do all of this. That's the hope, right? Go home and rest in these things. Okay? And all will be well. All right. Put a comment in your notes. We're just getting going. All right? It's going to be a great year, isn't it? It's going to be a great year in Isaiah. So, Lord, thank you for this, uh, really, these back-to-back songs that put so much of what we need to remember, even in our 2020 day, um, to trust You, to rest in You, to remember that this day is coming, to meditate on Your promises more than on the brokennesses of the world. and Even when we wake up at night, that our thoughts would gravitate toward Your character and promises. Lord, even might the songs and music that we choose to listen to the most be training our minds to turn to You in those moments. And in the meantime, though, Today is one more example of living in a broken world with political threats and uncertainties and economics and and all the rest, that this day is coming and that we would trust you and rest in you whatever, whatever the next day or week or year brings and know that this day of judgment and setting all things right, the death of death, the wiping away of tears, the restoration of creation and the setting up of your kingdom, those things are coming. And we actively trust you and hope in you for that day. Lord, help us to go home, close our door, and rest and trust in you, knowing that this will blow over in time and you will come again. Lord, thank you that you call us to be active in sharing this message with our neighbors in the world. And uh, so might we be diligent to do those things as we rest in you and hope for this day. In Christ's name, amen.